0: Somewhere in Northeast Indiana, Mike Davidson lives. And now, your host of the podcast, Mike Davidson. I'm a week away. This coming Sunday, turning 44, oldish. Can you teach an old dog new do tricks? I'm sure you can, but uh, probably not a good idea to do it with uh, hundreds of dollars of new equipment. Yeah. Hell yes, Mr. Robert. Thank you very much. It's me, Mike. Mike Davidson lives. That's the name of the podcast. Thank you for hanging out. Joining me for the next half hour or so. A lot to get through, as always. Uh, so yesterday, Saturday, well, it'd be two days ago now because I'm recording this early Monday, but uh, Saturday, this past Saturday, uh, here in town, uh, a couple of us management types got together. I, I, I don't know if I would consider myself a manager. I'm kind of the go-between, but I was invited to this little uh, soiree. At a Mitchell Sports Bar here in Fort Wayne. And it was me and my wife that went. And it, they had, like, this little side room that was rented out where you could play virtual golf, virtual football, uh, virtual this, virtual beanbag. I didn't get a chance to play that. Uh, we had to leave early. But uh, they the virtual golf, they actually have golf clubs set out. And you just hit the ball as hard as you can into the screen. And it's supposed to go far. I've only played golf once in my entire life and it was very stressful because the person i was playing with well it was a former boss of mine and he took his leisure very seriously and and if anything you want to be around somebody that takes fun time seriously that was not pleasant and i when i was at this thing uh saturday i'm surprised i didn't divot the carpet any uh, but you know, I got free food out of it. I got uh, free booze out of it. Not bad. And uh, you know, we got away from the kids for a little bit. The kids, whom I love dearly, but I, I don't know. I, I'm probably not going to show this. You're just going to take my word on this. Uh, we got pics from Grandma's house. Logan took a nap in the middle of the afternoon. When he wakes up, usually he's a little grumpy. And I got pic from Grandma. Where he's got this really weird glare on his face. It looks like his eyes are going two different directions. It's just the way the camera's angled. But for some odd reason, he reminds me of Vigo from Ghostbusters 2. Like he had that same demeanor. I think it's the same demeanor Buffalo Bill fans have right now. And I, oh my God, I got a little bit of a rant going on with this. So the NFL Championship weekend is set. San Fran uh, looking to go to uh, the Super Bowl, what, eight? for an eighth time now they've won five of their last seven uh they want to be uh you know a six time winner like new england and pittsburgh uh they got to host the detroit lions uh who beat the bucks and uh, they're looking to go to their first ever super bowl a little uh, factoid for you here uh the detroit lions in their complete history of nfl playoffs even going back before the super Bowl era have only had three post-seasons where they had two or more victories, multiple victory playoffs. And, you know, the last two were in the 50s. So this is kind of a magical run for Detroit, and I think a lot of people are pulling for them. Uh, Now you got Baltimore and uh, Kansas City. Baltimore took care of the Texans pretty handily Saturday. That was not much of a game. Bills, Chiefs. Three-fourths of that game was competitive. Um, Neither team really put up a fight defensively. But just, like, everybody's giving crap to Tyler Bass for missing this field goal. And it's 44 yards out, and and, and there's shades of Scott Norwood and all that, and I get that. He should have made the field goal. But there was a lot going wrong in that game. You know, Josh Allen making some uh, bad reads, uh, missing, not even throwing to wide open guys uh Stefan Diggs not making crucial catches and you know here's the thing too that missed field goal uh came on uh, the other side of the two minute warning and you know the the Bills were driving they had a chance to run off a lot of clock and get close to field goal range they had a chance to win this game but they decided but Josh Allen threw it twice And missed twice, so he only ran like 13 seconds off the game clock. Had this uh, Tyler Bass even made the field goal, the Chiefs would have had the ball back with like a minute and a half to go. And uh, given the way the Bills played, a pretty good chance of winning uh, the game. So, Tyler Bass, I mean, you know, yeah, it's easy to jump on the kicker, and yeah, he should have made it, but he was damned if he did, damned if he didn't. If he had made the uh, kick and the Chiefs still won, nobody would have said boo. But he wasn't the only guy that didn't do his job out there that's that's uh kind of a half-assed offense but you know here's my thing about uh, the whole swifty mo- movement and um you know I, god that was not obnoxious seeing taylor swift and jason kelsey uh yeah jason kelsey shirtless up in the the skybox that's uh yeah because you don't see enough fat hairy dudes in buffalo without their shirts on this time of year okay So they kept showing them. And by the way, Taylor can't help being seen by the media. She knows. She knows. Yeah, but uh, I can't help it, but she knows. All right, so Buffalo knows that this circus, the, the ownership knows this circus is coming to town, and they know they're hosting, and they have a chance to get to the AFC Championship game, right? But rather than be serious about it, they decided to play along with the Swifty movement and pander to Swifties, and they put in these menu items in honor of Taylor Swift. Not even like, um... This wasn't like, you know, satirical or a dig at her. It was in honor of her. The biggest temporary Chiefs fan on the planet right now, right? They shouldn't have done anything like that. I'm not saying, you know, you throw tomatoes or snowballs at the press box. Just leave her alone. Because... She can't help being seen. My point is you're catering to Swifties when a good chunk of that stadium gives more shit about the Bills actually going to a Super Bowl and winning a Super Bowl. But you're playing along into this thing where, oh, it's Taylor Swift and we got to show that we're down with the kids and we're down with it. I don't think anybody would have cared if uh, any of the Bills fans would have cared. What the menu items were uh, named. They wanted their team to win, but again, I just, I just don't think the Bills were very serious about it. All right. By the way, going into the Swifty thing, and I can't help it because it's not like I go and look up Taylor Swift news. It's just in my feed, all my feeds, all the time, because that's what media is obsessed with, and therefore I kind of have to talk about it. Um, there are a lot of things I don't talk about when it comes to her because I don't care about her personal life. But the obsession people have with her is amazing to me. There's this uh, young woman on uh, Twitter X. Her name is Emily. Not a verified account. Uh, what, what is her handle? Emily K. May. Okay. Uh, she's one of those change the world types. And I think she thinks that if you have a vagina, you automatically love Taylor Swift. As is the style at the time, I guess. Um, But uh, she tweeted this out. When did she? uh, This would be the 19th. So, yeah, a few days back. And when she tweeted out or X'd out or whatever, the thing about Taylor Swift is that she is so perfect. She so perfectly encapsulates through her lyrics the interior lives of women. It's like we all can't stop listening. We're all saying, wait, you felt this way? We were all feeling this way? Yay, yikes. And then uh, she responds to her own tweet, I don't think men do, and to be honest, I think they need it, end quote. And this drives me nuts because it it, it goes off of a similar non-Taylor Swift rant I have about musicians. Again, this woman thinks all women like Taylor Swift. I don't think that's the case. Um... But like I think back to musicians like John Lennon and Bob Marley and Kirk Cobain. And these these guys um have made music that I like. Right? Um and I've got it on my playlists. I've got some albums of theirs. But but the thing about them is is like when rock reporters, uh, music reporters go off on these little tangents and talk about how So-and-so is the voice of his or her generation, or they're here to save the world through their music. Um, I can't say everything that John or Bob or Kurt have done in their lives has been inspirational to me, and and I would agree with it. And to say that they all say what everybody is thinking is intellectually dishonest. It just is. Somebody being the voice of his or her generation or his or her group. Uh, there might be a common thread here or there, but to speak for all people all the time, that's just nuts. And this this woman is operating from this mindset that Taylor Swift speaks for all women. Like, all women are at Taylor Swift shows shelling out hundreds, if not thousands of dollars to go see her, and they don't have their own lives to attend to. Like, they don't have any other musicians that they would listen to or any disagreements politically with Taylor Swift or uh, you know, just anything else like go on vacation or see a movie or read a book. It's all Taylor Swift. And this woman thinks that every woman thinks that Taylor Swift is, uh, is her deity. It's that, that, that is my big problem with pop culture, pop culture. Yes. There are things for you to comment about. Um, and and you know like and you you have some common interest But you can't view everything the same way someone else does and that she's got this misconception And she's saying that men need this. No, we don't And, and women don't need this if you need somebody um, To have a common bond with a common thread with it should be somebody in your own sphere somebody, you know like your dad like your mom like a sibling like your spouse your boyfriend girlfriend uh you know a best friend a mentor somebody you can talk to not project your own life onto theirs this being whatever celebrity we're talking about and saying yeah i'm just like them and i bet everybody else is just like them too no that's, that's not how it works uh by the way uh, sticking to social media what is this? Uh, Clifton Duncan. Uh, I believe he's a writer. He's an actor. He's a performer. Uh, not a famous dude. But he's got his own account on there. And I think you would uh, consider him to be a reformed liberal, reformed socialist. I don't think he's quite on the Republican uh, MAGA train. And that's all right. If he's got uh, disagreements, whatever. I mean, but that, that again, is my big point. If, if you can come to some agreement on something, you know. That's fine. You don't have to agree on everything. He doesn't speak for me in all things of my life, but then again, I'm an adult. But he had a very interesting thing about Disney, and you know, Disney struggles recently. His a little more coherent on Twitter X, claiming politics killed Disney misses a deeper truth. Disney was a symbol of magic and wonder, but they empowered nihilists, nihilists, who problemized. Everything from society to human nature. They gave the reins to cynics who skewed moral framework and deep-seated resentment rendered them incapable of creating the very magic Disney was known for. As a result, a brand that took 100 years to build was destroyed in just three. From Snow White to Star Wars to Pixar to the MCU, the problem is not the politics in and themselves. The problem is that the magic is gone, and he also goes on further. uh, I think he responded to somebody else. Activists look down on escapism as a useless bourgeois luxury. To them, art with no social utility is not just useless, but harmful It allows us to ignore the issues. They miss that entertainment is not the news and that we require some escape. They don't want you to take a break from life, basically is his point. And, I, you know, I have some slight disagreement in there because you do need drama and you do need frailty. Uh, you know, something that makes the characters relatable to the audience, right? And you need villains to be a 180 or somebody that could have been a good guy but made some bad decisions and became bad. And you know, comic books are rife with such characters, like, you know, in the Marvel universe. Um, but his point is is that nihilism is pretty much rendered any happy ending moot. And to seek victory and to seek something else outside of your life is is problematic for a lot of these activists that claim to be creators. That's what I get from what he's saying. And in that I, I agree with him wholeheartedly. But, I mean, think about it. I went on this with David Chase uh, saying that the golden age of television is dead. There isn't anything that really challenges the viewer or, or makes them question things, whether or not they stand firm in their own belief system or what would you do in this situation. A lot of times nowadays, television and movies wags fingers and says no you're wrong and if it's one thing to challenge an audience but when you lecture to an audience that's a problem and clifton Dun- duncan hits it right on the head here matt disney was escapism for all sorts of people not just one group of people and that was a common thread for us but now because everything has to be politicized yeah It's no longer viable, and who knows if that could ever be viable again? That would require a big uh, cultural shift inside that organization. But that's again, that's that again is wishful thinking at this point. It's kind of hard to um, really do anything about when you're on the outside, except you know not go to those movies. Okay, so uh, last podcast talked about Madonna being two, three hours late to her show and a couple of fans in New York are suing her because they had to go to work the next morning. And again, it's kind of a 50-50 with me because, yeah, you're the paying customer and you should you should get your money's worth, but at the same time, you're giving money to somebody who doesn't respect you and it's kind of a you know buyer beware thing. I can go either way on this thing. Um, But there's this meme going around about how, who would have thought back in the 90s, Roseanne Barr would look a lot better than Madonna, and they show a picture of Roseanne now. Not that I think Roseanne's hot or anything, uh, but they also show a picture of Madonna after one of her plastic surgeries, and her lips are just puffed real out. And of course, now the swelling's gone down, and they showed a picture of a a dolled up Madonna with uh, her lips all swole still. Not as swole, but they puff out. And then I looked at an older video of her uh, from, I think it was Vogue, the black and white video, where she actually was pretty cute and attractive back in the day, aside from being, you know, a little risque, as they would say. She actually was a cute gal, uh, and her lips didn't stick out. And my point here is vanity will get you every time. The thing is, is we all don't want to get old, and we all don't want to die. But guess what? It happens. You get older, and you, one day you're just not gonna be here. And Madonna, rather than age gracefully, and she's not the only one guilty of this. There's a lot of starlets, and there are some dudes who go out and get plastic surgery out the ass, key <laughs> Rourke. And rather than find beauty in just getting older and except in a few wrinkles and a few gray hairs they decide to pull their eyebrows back to the back of their head and uh make their lips stick out like you know like a kardashian's ass and it just doesn't look good you don't look younger you you look scarier um i don't know if roseanne's got any plastic surgery but if she has it's not been a lot and it's been very subtle so there's that but gm chrysler uh i i wish people would think twice about that crap I mean, it makes sense if you're if you're a burn victim and you're recovering and you want to you know hide some things. I get that, but if you're just getting older, it makes no sense whatsoever. Okay, so speaking of older and death, R.I.P.D. to uh, Sports Illustrated. It has changed. Yeah, this was a magazine back in the '50s started by Henry Luce of uh, Time Magazine, and for 70 years it's existed, and maybe 50 of those years it was relevant, but. Uh, A lot of the staff and editorial uh people got laid off this past friday after a lot of controversies and it looks like the magazine is going to be kaput which just goes to show you the lesson here is never ever get rid of the the football phone ever ah yeah that's that's why he went under see i mean okay you you do a sport and again as I've into with the Bills thing. You know, you're pandering to Swifties with the menu instead of your football fans and trying to get them psyched up about your Bills going to the Super Bowl. Sports Illustrated and its writers really don't care about the common sports fan. They want enlightened people to read their magazines. And they want to feel enlightened because enlightened people read their magazines. They could give two shits about the sports illustrated swimsuit issue why did guys buy the sports illustrated swimsuit issue because they're guys and they like beautiful women now you your idea of beauty is wrong and your idea of a woman is wrong and uh that would explain a lot of the recent quote unquote swimsuit issues and that would explain why that's no longer the cultural phenomenon it once was and, of course, you have other things like the, the lecturing and pointing down and wagging of fingers. And and the fact that just publications in general. I mean, when was the last time you bought Sports Illustrated? When you went to a magazine rack, if those things are still around, and picked up a Sports Illustrated magazine. Or even, you know, had a subscription to it. Or, or better yet, even visited Sports Illustrated's website. I mean, as problematic as ESPN is, and it is, uh, people do visit that website for scores. What the hell would you visit Sports Illustrated for? Literature? I mean, come on. Um, and it, this is just the disdain of the common sports fan in how they perceive sports, basically a huge reason why they failed. Now they used um, uh, AI-generated articles too. and yes you don't want to go with ai on everything uh and you could say well it's because you know you know go woke go broke well that's true but you go to the machines and you're not going to get great results nothing relatable and that's where what we have right here so again a magazine that was relevant for like maybe 50 of its 70 plus years of existence finally looking to bite the green burrito of death and i really don't think a lot of people outside of sports writers really give a shit you know this this again is just the the sports writer the the uh, higher on un- enchelon a sports writer i'm talking like on the national level local guys i mean yeah you got some guys that want to be like the sports illustrated guys but there are some local guys local sports writers in towns that actually do kind of care about what fans think and uh you when you leave that when you leave the sports bar behind, when you leave the high school football stands behind, and you're in a room with other people that write, you know, you, you kind of get cut up in that bu- bubble a little bit. Uh, speaking of bubbles, uh, Axios, uh, which was started up in 2016, it was started by the guys that did Politico, and Axios, I believe, is uh, Greek for worthy. Okay. Um, they uh, they're coping with this whole AI thing, and uh, you know because everybody's kind of worried about artificial intelligence taking over the world, replacing humans from actual jobs. They 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 did a lay, uh, an article about the layoffs in tech, uh, starting to reveal the effects of AI, and you know people are like, well, see, see, AI is replacing those tech jobs. Axios, uh, whoever, their social media director is stupid or thinks you're stupid this is what they actually tweeted with this article the new trend in tech company layoffs could be less about replacing workers with ai and more about replacing workers with a smaller number of workers who are more skilled at ai for now so if you follow they're admitting yes ai is replacing people and you need fewer people to run ai And after a while, AI won't need those people. This is a snake eating itself. I mean, that that tweet right there. All right, slippery slopes, they exist. It doesn't matter uh, if you're a conservative or a liberal or what your cause is. If you get something stopped, if you get something started, yeah, it might be a victory for you, but you may not weigh the entire consequences of it. And when gay marriage became legal years back, yeah, I, again, I have kind of a, liber- a very libertarian view on it. I really don't care, you know, who you love, as long as, you know, you're, you're both adults, you're both law-abiding adults. And uh, you don't, you know, you don't infringe, infringe on my liberties. I don't infringe on yours. It's, that's, that's the mature way of approaching things. Uh, but when things like that happen, the other groups look at that and they go, see, we can do that, too. And the big one uh, this past week um, is polygamy, swingers. Um, And uh, three different publications talked about how polygamy and swinging are beneficial. Like if you're tied down to one partner, that's bad. But if you have multiple partners, it's good. And uh, it's, um, yeah, New Yorker and New York Times each had articles like that. USA Today had an article about that. And it's kind of weird that that uh, came up because my wife and I were talking. And no, we're not swingers. We're, we we don't like leaving the house. Uh, but she was telling me uh, that she was talking with a coworker, and I guess in um, in some homes, if you have a pineapple displayed upside down, that is the secret code for being a swinger. It's kind of like having a sock on your doorknob if you want to be left alone. And you got roommates uh don't ask me to explain that one to you but yeah the upside down pineapple is um is a sign in somebody's home that they are a swinger not very subtle now that everybody knows right but she told me this i think was it yesterday or today that she was driving i think it was to i think it was today she was out driving and uh she saw an upside down pineapple decal on somebody's pickup truck so though, yeah, they, somebody likes to get down and dirty in the back of their uh, the tailgate, not just with uh, their quote unquote life partner. But here's here's the thing about uh, polygamy, and it's, it comes from a personal philosophy of mine. You can't love everyone equally. I mean, you love your mom and dad, but it's a different kind of love that you have for your siblings right and i'm not saying you love one group more than the other it's just a different kind of love right same goes with your children same goes with your spouse or your boyfriend or girlfriend and if you have multiple partners how how do you how do you prioritize that because you know being in a committed relationship requires a degree of intimacy and a degree of tolerance And I'm, and I'm, you know, you need tolerance because yes, you love that person, but you're also with another person and you and them are not going to see eye to eye on everything. Imagine having a third person in that uh, relationship or fourth person or fifth person. You can easily lose yourself and capitulate uh, to the whims of the group. You know how I feel about groups, right? Being in a big group is not oftentimes the best, and polygamy, it, how is that even intimate? It's just, you know, do as you please, and if it feels good, do it, but if you've got four or five other people in the uh, in the group uh, session, as we'll call it, the work group, we'll call it that, you're... you're... <laughs> Yeah, but that's another thing too. Like, if you think back to high school or or college, and you had to be in a class group project, and how frustrating that could be. Imagine that being your adult relationship—you and four or five other people trying to be on the same page. That is what's being pushed right now. Um, Look, you're either in a relationship with one person or you're not, and if. And if that gets me in trouble, then that's going to be a very interesting discussion in HR if that ever gets back to them. All right. Uh, Congress cares more about rats than you. I guess Ted Lieu has introduced this new bill uh, that would ban glue rat traps, glue traps for rats, uh, roaches, the whole nine, you know, in restaurants and stuff, because it's inhumane to the critter. And the CDC says, yeah, that doesn't stop the spread of disease. Oh, the CDC knows how diseases spread. Okay. Yeah. We. We we kind of got a feel for uh, how well they handled diseases last three or four years. Um, I just... Look, why would you have more compassion for bugs or rats? I mean, restaurants are a hard thing to keep clean anyway. And if they can't get out of the glue trap, uh, okay, whatever. Um, do you want more poisons used around there? Or do you just want... Uh, do you just want nature to take its course, and uh, you know if roach falls in the soup, well that's more protein, and you're going to be eating those things anyway in five years. Is is that what we're going with here? Okay, we're um, getting really long winded on a whole bunch of crap here. There's a whole a whole list of things I had written down, and I'm just not going to be able to get to uh, this session. Um, I guess the uh, cr- I'll wrap up with this the the creator of Blackish. Which was a successful show on ABC. Um, I guess talking about remaking some things, like you know, for from a person of colors perspective, one would be The Wizard of Oz, and it's clear to me uh, that uh, this this so called creator has never heard of the Wiz. Seriously, Michael Jackson is he 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 and in his grave right now, uh, and the other one is remaking It's a Wonderful Life, the Frank Capra classic. The thing about a lot of these remakes is no matter what you do, if it's of a big-time classic film, nobody's going to remember it. And the the people that you're making it for, this modern audience, is going to find something else to be entertained by. Again, it's okay to be different. But uh, to say, okay, this is where Frank Capra got it wrong. I'm going to do it this way. Uh, It's a losing battle. And I'd rather you make something cool... And even if I don't like it, at least I can go, well, you know, it's original. You know what I mean? Let me put it this way. Um, Ted Turner thought he could make movies a hell of a lot better back in the day. He went on that uh, colorization ramp- rampage back in the late 80s, early 90s, uh, where you would take old black and white films and make them all color, even though they were meant to be seen in black and white. Orson Welles, on his deathbed, heard about it. And, of course, Orson Welles' baby was... Uh, uh, with Citizen K. great movie, classic movie, and he basically just said, I want you to do everything, I think it's talking to his publicist or something, I want you to do everything you can to keep that, that man's goddamn crayons away from my movie, <laughs> and you know what, that's how it should be with a lot of uh, intellectual properties, but then again, it's all And with all that said and done, maybe I'll get to the other stuff next time. Stay fresh. You've been listening to Mike Davidson Live. Be sure to check him out on social media. Like him at facebook.com backslash Davidson live. Follow him on Twitter. Look for at Davidson Live.